We're so thankful to be able to gather here this evening and worship the God of heaven and appreciate the really great songs that Tim just led us in. The scripture reading was always interesting. That's all we can say about that scripture reading, right? Having a baby birthing contest, that's one of the most fantastic sections of scripture I think that there is, maybe. All blessed by God. And appreciate the good prayer that Anthony led us in as well. In heavenly love abiding, no change my heart shall fear. First line of the first song we sang tonight, one of my favorite songs. We want to talk tonight about dealing with change. Change is a constant, something that we must deal with all the time, no matter who we are. But as Christians, we have tools for handling that. And before I really get into the meat of the sermon, I'd like to announce a bit of a change that's gone on in the life of one of our members here just lately, and that is with Donna Messick. She has, as many of us know, uh, had cancer for some time now. It's entered into a, the next phase right now, and uh, hospice has been called in. Uh, she doesn't need visitors right now, I, I think, but probably would appreciate some cards and definitely some prayers, so we're letting you all know so you can be praying for Donna. And uh, she's in some good bit of pain right now, and let's keep her in our prayers. So changes happen, don't they? And some of them are frightening, some of them are painful, some of them are joyous. The word change is a really powerful word. It can generate a lot of different emotions, fear, anxiety, excitement, anticipation, the whole spectrum. How does it make you feel, just the, the, the word change itself? I'll just tell you that uh, in, in the core of my being, I don't like change. I don't, I, I don't like it as a word, frankly, uh, because it speaks to me of negative things that have happened. But a lot of people, it, you know, they think of change as being good because it speaks to them of positive things that have happened. I guess it's just all how you have looked at it. How do you handle it? We all experience it. We're experiencing it right now. Our bodies replace nearly 30 trillion cells on a regular basis. If you can imagine that, about 330 billion cells in your body are replaced every day. As you're sitting here tonight listening to this lesson, you replace about a billion cells. That's all going on. We're changing just sitting here. Your skin replaces itself once a month. Your stomach lining replaces itself every five days. We are constantly going through change. And the older we get, the more profound the changes are. Many of us can attest to that. Isaac Newton's first law of motion declared that everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. So everyone in this room is changing, and that means everyone in this room has forces being pressed upon them, forces that are largely unseen but powerful nonetheless, forces such as time and gravity, cellular degeneration, cellular division, cellular, cellular growth, maturing, but also other powerful forces around us such as our culture, school, work, learning, all of that changes our bodies and our minds. Our circumstances change and that 
can bring quite a bit of change to us as well. Maybe you're a young person and you're about to start to drive a car. That's going to change your life profoundly. Maybe you've just graduated from high school or college. Maybe you've started a dating relationship or ended one if you're a young person. Uh, other things are going on in life, though. Your employment might change or things at work might change. You may move from one place to another. Uh, you may get married. We've had some of that going on of late and some more in the near future. There could be the birth of a child. Lots of you have experienced that change in your life over the last couple of three years. And there's retirement, and then there's illness, and there's illness or death of a loved one. So the one constant in our lives, the thing that is absolutely unchangeable, is that we're always changing. That is, that is the one constant. Heraclitus said there is nothing permanent except change. And I think he may have been right about that. I want to go with you tonight uh, to the book of Daniel. And we'll be just skipping around a little bit there. We'll be looking at a lot of other passages. But as a sort of a premise for this lesson, I want you to think about the changes that occurred in the lives of three young men and a fourth, four altogether, that were transported from their home in Judea to a foreign country hundreds of miles away into a culture that they were unfamiliar with at a very young age, teenagers apparently, perhaps, and likely, almost certainly without their parents. Imagine the changes that they would have experienced, the things that were different to them just right off the bat. We'll learn about these four young men, that they were going to be trained in the learning of the Babylonians, the culture of the Babylonians, and the language of the Babylonians. And got top-notch education as far as the world would be concerned. But everything was so different in their lives. They would be tempted with things that they had never even seen before growing up in Jerusalem. Never even seen before. They lived, apparently, for quite a long time in this foreign land. From all indications, Daniel lived over 70 years after he was taken into captivity, in this land of captivity. And after all of that time, how much did Daniel change? We say he's gone from a very young man to a very old man. He certainly matured in a lot of ways. But Daniel, in all of the changes, there was one thing that was constant with him, and that is his relationship with God. Daniel teaches us that when things change around us, we may have this constant relationship with God as we look up to him in prayer. So we go to the book of Daniel in chapter 6, and you know the story that Daniel is now serving under King Darius. No longer are the Babylonians reigning, but Darius, the Medes, and the Persians have, have taken over. And Daniel is doing really well. He's elevated to a really high place in the kingdom. Darius give, is giving thought to sending him over the whole kingdom. And that sparks a lot of jealousy. And so some of the other princes and rulers and the satraps and whatnot cook up this plan to have a writing signed by the king, an edict 
that no man can pray to anyone for 30 days except the king or they'll be thrown into the lion's den. Of course, they knew of Daniel's habit of prayer. And Daniel 6 and verse 10 tells us, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. In a world swirling with change, Daniel had his God. And to weather all of the change and the temptations and the trials that he faced in life, including certainly his own aging process, Daniel looked to God. And he did that daily. As we consider being a house of prayer for the Lord, that really comes down to us as individuals being people of prayer. As we talk, as we often do in sermons, about how the world is changing around us and the pressures in the world to conform to Satan's way of doing and thinking, and, and certainly the, the sea change of things that have happened in our culture in the last couple of decades. How can people weather that sort of change? We learn from Daniel to look up in prayer. In Psalm 5 and verse 3, the psalmist says, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct, to, I will direct it to you, and I will look up. Looking up to God day by day, morning by morning. morning. Praying is, is practicing faith in God. It confirms, it confirms in our hearts that our faith in God is greater than change. It's greater than the fear of change. And it helps us to remember that our citizenship is in an eternal place. It's in heaven. In heavenly love abiding. No change. My heart shall fear. That's the point. We look up in prayer. We look up to God's power. Daniel was, I have no doubt, fully aware of the power of God. He trusted in it repeatedly during his time in Babylonian captivity as the text of the book of Daniel unfolds. When you begin in the book of Daniel, uh, you have verses 1 and 2, chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. This would have been about 605 B.C. The Lord gave, to Jeho Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. So Nebuchadnezzar takes some of the best from Jerusalem, including, as the text goes on, some of the young noble men to come into his palace to serve him, including Daniel and his friends. But what I want you to notice that maybe we haven't looked at very closely before, skimmed over this as we read through it and just get the timing of it and all that sort of thing, that verse 2 says... The Lord gave Jehoiakim. The Lord did that. The Lord gave, God gave, the things, the riches from Jerusalem into the hand of Jehoiakim to be taken to Babylon and used in the house of the Babylonian God. Now from a standpoint of the people of God, those were not good things and they were certainly not good things from a moral standpoint. And yet, we acknowledge God's power in this. I find it interesting 
that in the book of Isaiah, written fully a hundred years or so before this time, in Isaiah 39, verses 5 and 6, the text there says, as Isaiah is speaking to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And this is the beginning of the fulfillment of that prophecy that we're reading in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. What am I saying to you? I'm saying that the power of God was imminent in Daniel's life from the get-go of this story. The power of God was working to accomplish all of these things. I am quite certain that Daniel recognized that. Later on in the book of Daniel, we learned that he was familiar with the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah had been prophesying about this all the time. Daniel had been growing up in, in Jerusalem, been prophesying about these very things, that this is what would happen, that this is what God would come to, cause to come to pass. And so God is in control, and Daniel knows that God is in control. Please look over with me for a moment. Flip over to the 46th Psalm. Whatever is happening in the world, if you're taken into Babylonian captivity or whatever else might happen, who knows? The company you work for may be taken over by corporate raiders or you could lose a job or you could get sick. Or a lot of the other changes could happen that we've mentioned already. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He made wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. We sang that, right? That's what the psalmist is saying. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. So what the psalmist is saying is that everything's not always going to be peachy. He talks about the mountains being cast into the midst of the sea and big things change, changing and the earth being shaken and all of that. But God is with those who are his children all through it. There are many psalms, of course, that touch on this and many other places in Scripture that we could look at. But Daniel knew it long ago that God's power was with him. God's power was with him in the lion's den. In Daniel 6, God's power was with him to interpret the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar. God's power was with him. God's power was with him all through it. God's power was with his three friends when they were thrown into the furnace of fire. 
God was in charge. And God's in charge today. Whatever the changes are in your life, and some of them are big, grievous, some are happy, some are small, whatever they are. So we look up, up to God in prayer, we look up to God's power, and we look up to God's presence. Jesus promised his last words in Matthew chapter 28, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us. In Psalm 16, the psalmist there says in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. God is with us. He is present. Psalm 73 and verse 23, I am continually with you. I am continually with you, God. You hold me by my right hand. God is present with us. So, when change happens, let's look up. Let's look up to God in prayer. Let's think about his power. Let's think about the fact that he is with us, whatever it is we're going through. Secondly, as we go through changes, let's look in. Not inward to ourselves so much, but into Scripture. We need to, in the face of that which is changing, look into that which is changeless, which is the Word of God. God's word stands unchanged forever. Here is a rock that we can count on. Daniel applied God's word to his circumstances. I don't know if you ever thought about this. When in Babylon, he's uh, told that he's to take a, a certain diet for his, his training and preparation to serve in the king's presence. Daniel 1 and verse 8 says this. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. I don't know for sure what it was about the king's food and drink that would have defiled Daniel. I know that in a lot of pagan cultures, these things would have been offered to the pagan god before they were eaten. And so it could have had to do with the idolatrous nature of the foods. Barring that, it could well be that the foods were food that Israelites were not to eat. And there was quite a bit of that as well. So whatever it was, Daniel knew this, that if he partook of this food, he would defile himself. Where did he get that information? From the Word of God. This isn't something Daniel's inventing. I can't eat this because I don't feel like it, right? <laughs> This is something he knew he would defile himself if he partook of it. And so he makes the request of the chief eunuch, I don't want to do this. And he's allowed to eat that which was wholesome. Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8, that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Our life in Christ is sown with incorruptible seed, this eternal word of God. And when our life is based on that word, our life is as eternal as the word is. 
Think about how this is put to us by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22 when he says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, not seed that gets old, not seed that changes with time, not seed that's going to rot. You haven't been born that way. You have been born again, but not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, he says, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. The reason why born-again people live and abide forever is because they're born again by incorruptible seed, which is God's Word. It lives and abides forever because... And then he quotes Isaiah, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Here's the word. Here's the word that is eternal. Here's the word that makes you eternal. That gives you everlasting life. But we must continually live it. It must be in our hearts and in our minds. What we see in Scripture, we must apply. The simple words that James writes in James chapter 1, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. We talked this morning about remembering the word. We need to remember the word. But we need to remember to do the word. To do the things the word instructs us to do, to live it. This is not just an academic education that we're giving ourselves or our children in our Bible classes or when we study the Bible at home. It's not just knowing to be knowing. It's knowing to be doing. It's a way of living. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, James says, he's like a man observing his face in a, in a mirror. He observes himself, he goes away, immediately forgets what manner of man he was or what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, keeps gazing at it, is not a forgetful hearer. He remembers. He's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Let's look into Scripture. The elders have encouraged us on it. Scripture reading plan for this year. I'm a little bit behind on mine, but I'm planning to catch up. I hope that you're up to date on it and reading along. And that's really just the top, tip of the iceberg as far as what our study should be and our looking into God's Word. We must rely on it in this world of change. We spend, brothers and sisters, we spend a lot of time keeping up with the changes, don't we? You know, just think about all the changes. Whether you're talking about in our society, in our culture, the political world, uh, you know, what's going on in the news every day, and, and what's going on at work, oh, me. So my computer just bit the dust. My laptop at home actually bit the dust when I dropped it. On, on, it wasn't the dust. It bit the hardwood, actually. Uh, and, and so it had been a good computer, but it's dead, you know. So I sashayed over to Walmart the other day and 
picked up the cheapest laptop I could find, you know. But I, I, so I, I got that thing and powered that baby up. I just, I just love uh, inaugurating a new computer, don't you? <laughs> and, it, you know, everything's different. It's in a different place and all the stuff, the new software, and you got to do this and that. Maybe Tracy's the only one that even likes anything like that. I don't know. But uh, Tracy or Greg, I guess. But, but I, I mean, it's, it's just, and, you know, the software updates and the new and the new, and they, 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 they do all this stuff to you all the time. I despise all of that. I just want you to know. But we spend a lot of time keeping up with all of that. I remember when Sandy was working at H&R Block, it seems like every year they'd have an update to their software that did the taxes. Every year. And so you have all of this pulling of hair and consternation and all of that sort of thing that comes from. You all know what all that's about. We spend a lot of time keeping up with the changes. We need to spend a lot of time keeping up with what doesn't change. And that's in God's Word. Because that's the only way that we're going to keep up with what does change. Let's spend time in God's Word. Let's look into it. Let's look ahead expectantly. Because what's ahead for us is eternity. God is preparing us through whatever we're going through, through the changes of our lives. He's preparing us for greater service both now and in the time to come. When we go back to the book of Daniel, we find that Daniel and his three friends did very well. And it says about them in verse 17, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Seventy years. God did that. God put Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He put them through a pretty difficult time there, allowed them to experience all of that. But they came out better servants, better servants to the king of Babylon, but ultimately better servants to the king of heaven. God does that with us. He gives us opportunities. He allows us to experience trials and difficulties, changes that we don't like perhaps as we're going through them, but things that help us become better servants of his and ultimately he's preparing us for heaven itself in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 John sees a great multitude which no one could number of all the nations the tribes the peoples the tongues they're standing before the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb clothed with white robes John asks and the angel who's showing him, him these things asked him, who are these? And John says, you know. 
And the response is in Revelation 7 and verse 14. He said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. People vary as to what tribulation is being talked about there. I fully suspect it's the tribulation that the Roman Empire foisted upon Christianity in the first and second centuries. But they've come out of the great tribulation and they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him. Because they came through the great tribulation. Do you see that? And because they've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. They're before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. That's what our life here is all about. It's preparing to serve God in eternity and we have to go through some changes to be able to do that. God is going to carry out His plan with us in this world and in the world to come. If we put our lives in His hands regardless of what's changing around us, if we put our lives in His hands, what Paul says to the Philippians is certainly true of us. Philippians 1 and verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What God is doing in us and through us, He will complete it all the way until the day of Jesus Christ, which I take to be the day of eternity. The Lord's day. God is preparing you for that and for that habitation which is to come. And Paul talks about desiring to leave this tent and receive that eternal home. He says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. When I think about Daniel and his three friends, I don't know what they thought would happen to them when they left home. But I think it's a fair guess, at least, that they could not have imagined how God was going to use them. We tell the stories of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego to our children and they still receive them with wide-eyed wonder. What God hath wrought. And when we think about their lives and what they accomplished and experienced and did, God did exceedingly abundantly more than could have been asked or imagined in the life of Daniel and his friends. And the overwhelming changes they experienced were all to a glorious end and to the glorious glory of God. That's how it will be for us. That's how life is for us. It's the same. It's the same. Job thought about it this way. If a man dies, shall he live again? Job was going through some really hard times when he asked that rhetorical question. 
really hard changes had just occurred in his life. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. The real change he's looking forward to. <laughs> Not all of these changes that were going on around, but the change from this world to the world to come. All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. What has God wrought? Well, what He's wrought is you in this world. Preparing you to serve Him. And Paul will write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. I'm really looking forward to that. I hope you are too. The change that God has planned for us will be worth every change we must endure in this life. And everything God allows to happen in our lives to chisel us into a form that is fit for eternity. So our thoughts tonight are the world is changing, sure. You're changing your physical body, your physical circumstances. But God is changeless. His word is changeless. And he's trying to work you into something that will endure forever. Let him have his way with you. We'd ask you to come while we stand and sing.